Thanks for joining us on this episode of Coffee with Colleen. We have a very special guest, somebody I'm very excited to have gotten on the show. Her name is Kelly Filardo, and I had to practice how to say her name. (laughs) (laughs) You did it perfect. Thank you, Kelly. (laughs) She was going to be Kelly F. there for a minute. So let me uh, read you uh, her background and her story. Kelly Filardo is a burn survivor since the age of two, and she was burned over 75% of her body. She found a way to go from a near death to success, from the ugly scar-faced girl to the TEDx stage twice, fierce woman of the year, a seven-time international best-selling author, recipient of the Queen Elizabeth Diamond Jubilee Medal, and YWCA Woman of Distinction. She's a, there is a documentary rather about her life story called Still Beautiful, and it launched on TV. Plus, Goalcast launched a video that is almost 10 million views. And probably by the time this airs, there's going to be more. And Global TV in Canada named Kelly one of the most inspirational people of 2020 on Christmas Day. Uh, in 2020. So we're very lucky to have you as a guest. And I really can't wait to hear your story, Kelly. Thanks so much for being here. Well, thank you for having me because I feel like I'm the lucky one to be on your show. (laughs) Oh, bless you. Thank you so much. So let's talk about your background. Um, You probably don't remember. I mean, if you were burned in this, I don't know if it was an accident. How did that, where did that, what happened basically? So yeah, I was two years old and we lived on a farm and my cousins were burning shingles from the from the old barn room. And so I happened to go outside because I wanted to be with my cousins, you know, my older cousin. And a spark came out, landed on my dress and I exploded. And oh gosh. Yeah. And so I spent four months in the hospital. Every two days, I'd have to be in the operating room for more surgeries. And then every two years until I was about 20 years old, I'd have to go back for more surgeries because they needed me to grow so that they'd have more skin to work with. <laughs> so they were skin grafts. They just kept doing more skin grafts? Right. Oh, my goodness. That must yeah. have been extremely painful. Well, and the fortunate thing is I don't remember the accident because I know that would have been extremely painful. I don't remember my life until I was about five years old. I remember being in kindergarten and I remember then I start remembering my surgeries. And so, yeah, there was a lot of pain involved. And every time I would have more surgeries, I was hoping that I'd be beautiful. And of course, the scars would still be there. So I never, ever thought that I would ever be beautiful. And when I was in grade five, I watched past my teacher's death and I saw a picture that someone had drawn of me and it was a circle with eyes, nose and mouth and scribbles all over it. And it said Scarface. Oh my gosh. How old were you? Fifth grade? I was in fifth grade. So I would have been 11. So I knew then that that's what the kids were calling me. Mm -hmm. And so I, you know, I still remember thinking that like if somebody has glasses, they can just go get contacts and they're no longer four eyes or someone who's overweight can just go on a diet and then they're no longer, you know, fatty, fatty, two by four. Right. But me, I knew because my doctor was doing all these surgeries, my scars were never going to go away. And so I knew that I would never lose that label of the Scarface girl. And I knew that, um, I mean, nobody loves the girl that's covered in scars, right? Ouch. Ouch. <clears throat> Kids are so mean and so cruel too. 
you know, and I think, you know, growing up, we can all look back and say, yeah, it was called four eyes. Or for me, I'm really tall. I'm like six feet tall. So it was always, oh, what's the weather like up there in string bean? And, you know, um, but I, I, kids are cruel. Kids are cruel. And they say the darkest things, you know. Um, so I, I think a lot of us can relate to a certain point of being bullied, ridiculed, and mocked. But did did any of that continue? Okay, so that's fifth grade. So then you get into middle school and high school and, and beyond. Did that type of thing continue or get worse? Or, I mean, because then you've got, okay, well, now the school dance is coming up and now I've got this and that. So how did you struggle through those times? Well, I still remember actually being, I think it was sixth or seventh grade. And I remember that, um, I remember seeing one of the bullies and I thought, oh no, he's over there. I And I had to walk past him to get into the school. And I was like, oh, I really hope this time he doesn't see me. Oh gosh. So he doesn't say anything. And sure enough, I walked as fast as I could really fast past him and he did see me. And what I didn't see, though, is that one of the guys, my friends from school, he saw it also. So he stuck up for me and he said, would you quit picking on Kelly? If you're going to pick on somebody, pick on somebody your own size and pick on a guy, not a girl. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. right. (laughs) And so he actually ended up getting kicked out of school, the bully. Because that wasn't, of course, the first time, right? There was multiple times. So definitely, you know, there was a lot of that going on. But fortunately, I'm half deaf. And so I didn't hear a lot of what people were saying. So that was good. So my hearing protected me or my loss of hearing (laughs) (laughs) protected me, right? But it's still, even though I wasn't hearing it, I still felt it. Right. Well, because you'd heard it before, because other people had said it before. So once that kind of gets in there, you know, especially as a being a kid, being young, you know, it's the same thing that I think we can relate to. That's why I love your story. There's so much that everybody can relate to, to a certain extent, you know, but yours was, like you said, you, you can't wear contacts, you can't lose 10 pounds or whatever, or 20 pounds or 50 pounds or whatnot. Right. Um, it's something, and then you internalize a lot of that. So... And then you're bombarded with all these messages from media that you have to be flawless and you have to be perfect and you have to have the perfect hair and the perfect eyes and the perfect weight and all this stuff. And because Mm -hmm. of all the surgeries I was going through, I knew I was never going to be that. Right. And so I didn't ever have that dream of being the princess. Right. I didn't think I would ever be like Cinderella and, and, get married and have, you know, kids and mm-hmm. all that. And I also believe that burn survivors didn't have kids. Oh, and oh. I, I never, well, I just didn't know anybody like me, right? Back in those mm-hmm. days, like that was back in the 70s, right? And so in those days, we didn't have social media. So we didn't see other burn survivors. There was no support system for burn survivors. I believed I was the only one. And I remember having a conversation with my mom saying, I'm the only person in the world who's burnt. And she said, no, you're not. And I said, okay, well, I'm the only one in Canada who's burnt. No, you're not. Okay, then I'm the only one in Alberta who's burnt. No, you're not. And I said, okay, well, I'm the only one in in Edmonton who's burnt. And she says, well, maybe. 
And I know she said that just to shut me up. But, <laughs> yeah. but I truly we do. Yeah, right. Yeah. I truly felt that way because I didn't know anybody else like me. Right. Right. So how did you get from there to where you are now? I mean, um, to being on this, you know, goal cast and 10 million views and a documentary of your life and, and all of that. <laughs> Obviously, there's like, it wasn't a quick jump, right? <laughs> well, and I'd love to share one more story before I get into that story. Please. So I remember when I was 16 and again, I was having all these surgeries and I remember praying to God and saying, dear God, please don't make me wake up in the morning. But if I have to, can I at least be scarless so I can be pretty like all the other girls? You know, thank you. Amen. And of course, I woke up in the morning mm. and of course, I looked in the mirror and still saw the scars. And so I thought, well, if my doctor can't take the scars away and God can't take the scars away, why would I want to live? Right. Right? Because I thought you have to be beautiful in order to be married and have kids. And, you know, I did end up getting married and I did end up having kids. And then I went through 11 years ago, I went through my divorce and I decided that I was in a toxic relationship and it had to end so that I could go and be who I needed to be. And so he could go and find a woman who could love him the way he needed to be loved. And so uh, that's when I met Charmaine, who, Hammond, <laughs> I remember you and I were talking earlier. <laughs> right. Not and, related. <laughs> and not related, you know, but. Unfortunately, and, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you guys are both amazing women. So, uh, so you need to meet. So anyways, um, Charmaine and I met at this women's event and I had a different business at the time. And she said, Kel, you need to sell that business you're in and you need to be a speaker. And I said, why? I'm just a burn survivor so what and she's like no everybody so many people will be inspired by your story now at that point in my life I was still married but I was in a toxic marriage we were almost bankrupt my former husband had told me it was uh he got laid off from his job so he said okay time for you to step up to the plate <laughs> and I was raising our twins at that time I was a single mom and he and he's like no it's time for you to step up to the plate Oh, no, I wasn't a single mom. I was a stay-at-home mom. Yeah, no too many. <laughs> stay-at-home mom, <laughs> you know, and my daughter and my, my twin boys. And I said, okay, fine, I'll go to work. And so I went to work. I had my scrapbook business at the time. And um, so we were in a really bad place in my marriage, financially. I had a job. I, and when Charmaine said, people will be inspired by you, I'm thinking, why? <laughs> like, I do not have an amazing life. And I still remember going home and saying to him, I'm going to be a speaker. And he said, who's going to listen to you? Oh, <clears throat> oh my God. Yeah, that was a toxic relationship. <laughs> but again, he's seen that we're almost bankrupt, mm -hmm. that he doesn't have a job. I'm not successful, right? Mm -hmm. uh, he didn't see my scars anymore because, of course, we were together for 24 years. So he didn't see which, what. Right. My business that I had was was bankrupting us. So he didn't see me as being an inspirational person. And mm -hmm. not that he was being, you know, 
a jerk. Right. <laughs> he just couldn't picture it. Right. And so he said, he said, I just, I just don't understand. Right. And so anyways, I said, I don't know how it's going to happen, but it's going to happen. And sure enough, that's what happened. And then I think it was about six months after that, I decided, okay, that's it. I'm, I'm out. And he said, I could only leave if I gave him the house and the kids. <clears throat> I know. Oh but again, I think it was because he thought if he said that, that I wouldn't leave. Right. Because he was scared. What was it going to be like to live without me? Right. And I was scared. What was it going to be like to live without him? Because my whole adult life, I was had him, you know, to support me and, and whatever. Right. So anyways, um, it was our 24th year together. It was our anniversary. And uh, we went to, you know, it was nighttime, went to bed. And then I could tell he was sleeping because he was snoring. <laughs> <laughs> I went to the bathroom and I started crying my eyes out. And I heard that little voice say to me, you've done 24 years like this. You're only 44 years old. Can you do another 40, 24 years? And I said, no way. Help me. And I believe that that was my God talking to me, mm -hmm. helping me through, right? Like sometimes we don't hear God's voice in a different tone. So we don't know it's really God talking to us, right? right? But now when I look back, it was like, that's what he was doing, was trying to get me to see that there was something else out there for me. Mm -hmm. And so I did end up leaving my marriage. And four months after that, my boss gave me an ultimatum. And she said to me, okay, so here's the thing. I sold my business, gave him his half of the money. My boss came to me and she said, okay, you've had the worst performance review in your life. She says, sometimes you've got to wonder what is going on with you. You have this amazing life where you're being a speaker, you're doing awesome, but you come to work and you're doing horrible and you're making mistakes and blah, blah, blah. She said, I'm going to ask you one question. Are you excited to come to work on Monday? Or are you going to be relieved if you don't have to? And I was so upset because I was like, oh, because she hit me right here. Yep. Like I knew. So I went home and you're going to love this part, Colleen. I went home that night and I had this Christian businesswoman's magazine. And so I'm reading the magazine and every page, I can't see anything but follow your passion full time. <laughs> And I flip the page, follow your passion full time, follow your passion full time. And I come to the middle and in big block letters, it says, why do you not trust that God will provide you everything you need? Amen. And I slammed it shut. I was so mad. <laughs> I get it. I know I'm supposed to be a speaker full time, but I don't have a job now. I don't have a man to support me. I'm living in my aunt and uncle's basement in a bedroom I'm 44 years old. Like, I don't know how to do this. And right, so right. give me three more months. My bills will all be paid. I'll do it then. And then I heard the little voice say, are you going to be excited to go to work on Monday or relieved if you don't have to? And I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> there it is again. <laughs> oh, damn you. Yeah. <laughs> I went to work that the next day. And I wrote my boss an email and I said, you are right. Today is my last day. Yeah. And I packed up my office and I left. Wow. <clears throat> what, what a, 
I had a friend of mine that used to say, faith is like going down the steps into a basement and none of the lights are on. So you just take a step out and you trust that the next step is there because it's pitch dark and it's black. And she said, that's what faith is like. Yep. When you when you step out into that darkness, that strange unknown that, you know, and you just trust that the next step is going to be there. So... And- Exactly. And I still remember my boss had tears in her eyes when she did that to me. And, you know, the analogy I use is that she was the mother bird pushing the baby bird out of the nest. Yep. And does the baby bird, when it's learning to fly for the first time, does it ever hit the ground? No. (laughs) It doesn't, though. The baby bird never hits the ground. (laughs) It drops, but it comes right back up and flies high. Mm Mm-hmm. And so that's what I feel my life was like. And I thanked her many times and I've told her, thank you for making that decision because I probably wouldn't have left. I knew I wanted to leave, but I needed that mother bird to push me out. Right. And uh, yeah. So at that point you were speaking, but you had you not written anything yet? Because now you've got... I had written my first book while I was married. And I was speaking a little bit because my speaking coach said to me, okay, Kelly, now that you're a speaker, you need to be an author. And I was like, I don't know how to write a book. Like, how do I write a book, right? Like, you know, you think, I that's way too many words. I don't know how. I don't know how to start, right? And who am I to write a book and, and all that? And she's like, no, you need to write a book. And so I did, not knowing at all what I was going to do or how to do it. But I just did it and then got some friends involved to help me edit it and blah, blah, blah. And then six months later, I uh, wrote my second book. And then that one became a best-selling book. But that happened after I left my marriage. So, yeah. And now I've written, I think, six books and a seven-time best-selling author. And now I coach people how to write and publish their books. And that's kind of what COVID did to me is last March, I lost all my speaking gigs. And, and I was like, okay, what am I going to do? I, I, I laid on the couch for a week, right? Because I didn't know. <laughs> a lot of us did. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of us did, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I haven't lost those 10 pounds, but, <laughs> <laughs> you know? uh, and then I just started doing virtual events. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to do a pay what you can. So people would just pay me whatever they could. And I would do a one day seminar to teach people how to write their books. And this is like just a beautiful story. This one girl said to me, I am so glad that you made that a virtual event. She said, mm-hmm. I was going through cancer and I was having chemo. And if you would have been, done it in person, I wouldn't have been able to attend it. And she said, and now she wrote her first book. She's a best-selling author. And now she's writing a series of 10 romance novels. And she said, I'm so glad. She said, I, I'm just so forever, you know, um, not indebted. I don't know what, what that word is. I Well, in, in your debt. Yeah. Grateful, appreciative. Grateful. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All those words. You taught me what to do because now I can now with my ke- chemo and my cancer, I can't do my previous job, which was cleaning houses. Now I can be an author and make money that way. Right. And I think that's what happened. Like I said, a lot of us spent that week on a <laughs> week or two or three or a four week or two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, on the sofa going, now what? You know, because all of my in-person events had gotten canceled and, you know, that type of thing. So, and I do think the now being able to do virtual events 
and I speak at virtual events and I have one of my own that I have coming up. Um, it is such a, a benefit because like I went to the conference, this conference I've wanted to go to for years. It's out in San Diego and I couldn't make it. Um, and I was able to go this year because it was done virtually. So I, I think when we look at it that way and say, okay, well, things are different now. How do we pivot? What do we do with it now? Um, and I think writing, I think everybody has a book in them. Totally. You know? and, I agree with you. And yeah. you know, and that's actually how I met you was because your assistant found me on a virtual event. Yeah. And said, okay, we have to have you on Colleen's show. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, why not? <laughs> I'm in. That sounds fun. I can do it from my home. <laughs> fun, you know. I love this. <laughs> <laughs> and it is great, you know. So tell me a little bit. You know, you do have a free gift for our listeners. So tell me a little bit about that. And then tell me about what you are doing now and how you're taking um, you know, getting started as a speaker and author and and taking that into the next step and helping other people do the same. Right. So the free gift is the blueprint. Because people always say to me, I don't know how to take, you know, how to actually put a pen to this paper and start the book, right? And so the blueprint is the seven steps on how to get your your book published on Amazon. And so people are welcome to download it. And also they can book a discovery call with me, a free call for 30 minutes. And so, and then what was happening is people were saying, well, Kelly, I want to be a best-selling author like you. How do I do that? And so then I set up um, a four-day challenge to teach people how to get their book started. And then, of course, you know, I've got different coaching packages where I coach them whether they want to be a best-selling author and I do it for them or they can do it themselves. And then I have another package where they just want to get their book published, but they don't care to be a best-selling author. And so I just take people right from concept to being a best-selling author. Yeah, especially so, now, like you said, with COVID. I mean, we're we're at home anyway. <laughs> you might as well be taking the We might as well be writing. And, you know, and the thing is, the way it's so easy nowadays to do it. Right. It's not as hard as before. And you can do it for free. So if money is, is tight, you can write a book, get it up on Amazon for free, and publish it and start making money. Absolutely. Yeah. I encourage everybody to do it. I've done, I've, and I've done things under a pen name. And so I have things out there, but yeah. that Amazon program, it's wonderful. And if you've got all the steps, people need to go to you. So I want to back up a little bit because I want to go back to your story a little bit more sure. um, because we've got that whole thing on Goalcast, and then there's the whole documentary thing. So let's go back. So you, you, you're out of your job and you've talked to this woman and yep. now you're out there and you're starting to do some stuff. So how does that lead to Here. a documentary? A documentary. Well, this is cool. So I went to another, you know, a, a networking event, a masterminding event. And one of the leader there, Jay Fassett, said, Kel, I really believe your story should be a documentary. And I'm like, you know, again, right? Like... <laughs> Me? Right. Me? Like, what? Really? Why? I'm a burn survivor. So what? Right? But no, he said, no, really, your story needs to be a documentary. And so what happened was I went to a conference to learn a Hay House conference because I wanted to learn how to publish, like how to get a publishing contract is what I wanted to learn. And so um, so anyway, so I took that and apparently like they also had a contest so you could win a publishing contract with them. And I didn't win the contest, but I, I said to myself, again, that little voice, I said, okay, why did I write this 
proposal, this book proposal. There's obviously a reason why. Like, why else did I write this? And I heard the little voice say to me, email Brian. Now, Brian works for a broadcaster here in Canada called AMI, Accessible Media Incorporated. And they believe that every person, whether you're blind or deaf, should have access to television. So they absolutely loved my story being a burn survivor. And so they contacted me and said, okay, do you want to produce it yourself? Because I have done another documentary. Or do you want to co-produce it with us and we'll put money in the pot? And of course, I said, well, let's co-produce it and you guys put money in the pot because I don't <laughs> want to have to put money in the pot, right? <laughs> exactly. So that's what happened. So it took two years. And then I also wrote the book, you know, the still beautiful book that goes along with the documentary. And what they did is they actually even recreated my accident of me getting burnt. Oh, my. Yeah, they came and it, this is just so cool. They came out to where I live and my best friend still has their original family farm that still has the burning barrel. It still has like their house is situated exactly like how mine was. And so they recreated my whole accident. And that was just like blows me away whenever I see it because I don't remember my accident. Right. So when I watch it on the documentary, it takes me back. And they even have like a little two-year-old girl that doesn't have scars, you know. So they showed her walking around the burning barrel and stuff and the explosion and then me being rushed to the hospital. And so they did like incredible reenactments. And even of the school thing where I got called Scarface, they recreated that. And, and then me um, speaking to 3,000 teenagers about how to love themselves. And so they even filmed that speech. So it, they just did a beautiful job on it. Just incredible. Yeah, that must be as a parent too, because now you look at it as a parent, I would anyway, and see that two-year-old little girl and yeah. then how you feel as a parent. And then there's that guilt. And if I had done this and what ifs and, you know, all of those things. So um, that's what I love about the documentaries that kind of can do those recreations. That's yeah, absolutely. very and powerful. My mom was only 21 years old when I got birth, and she was pregnant with my sister at the time. And so she was, of course, like she felt so guilty and ashamed and and blamed herself for me getting burnt because she was going to keep me inside to change my diaper. But they say that the wet diaper actually saved my life. Really? Well, because the, the flame stopped at the right. diaper because it was wet. Wow. Right? Yeah. It saved my life. Yep. Um, but yeah, there was a lot of guilt and shame. And it wasn't until my mom watched the documentary that she finally forgave herself. Oh, what a blessing. Yeah. What a blessing. Yeah, because I had guilt as a parent. I mean, we we have guilt. We have parent guilt anyway, you know, exactly. uh, let alone something like that. So. Uh, you got mom syndrome, you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. So you you mentioned the talk that you gave uh, that you give to teenagers. So tell us a little bit about that because, you know, like I said, we all deal with these these self esteem self worth issues. Um, so uh, what do you talk to young adults about, you know? and and what can you talk share with us? Because we all struggle with self esteem. So how did you work through that, and and what can you share from that talk? That was actually one of my favorite talks of all. 
And the reason being is we actually had a, a full length mirror on the stage with me. And I showed the girls, well, all of them, that the mirror doesn't talk. You see, we learn at age three, four, five, six years old, when we watch the movie Snow White, that the mirror talks. We see the evil queen talking to the mirror and we hear the mirror talking back. And what people don't understand is that the voice that we hear, we think it's coming from the mirror. And it's not. It's our own negative self-talk that is harming us and keeping us from loving who we are and having great self-esteem. And so when I did that speech, I got on the on the stage and sh shared with them that the mirror doesn't talk. And uh, it was so beautiful to watch. And even after we, I did the speech, we actually filmed us talking to some of the teenagers. And they all said it was so... Um, powerful to see that mirror on the stage and realize that the mirror doesn't talk. So we can change those voices in our head. It's up to us. Right? How, like I, how do we change that voice? How do we change those thoughts and those, you know, because I, I always say to my clients, we say the most horrible things to ourselves that we would never say to our best friend, that we would never say to our children. So how do we learn to identify those thoughts and how do we change them? How do so we stop changing re them? Exactly. I still remember going to a garage sale and this lady says to me, they couldn't do better than that. And I was like, floored. Like I was in my, I think I was in my forties at that time. And I was so upset because she had no idea about all the surgeries I had been through and everything. And she had no idea what I've been through. Like, right. Seriously, I was just so upset. So anyway, I when I would go in the mirror, I would say, because you know how affirmations they say, all you have to do is keep telling yourself how beautiful you are and eventually you'll believe it. So that didn't work for me. It didn't matter how many times I said, I am beautiful. It didn't work. Right. So I had to change that. So instead of going in the mirror and saying, I am beautiful, I went in the mirror and I said, I happen to love my big, beautiful green eyes. And then voice didn't say anything because it's true. I believe it. Right. And then I looked at my nose and I said, oh, my God, I happen to love my cute little nose. <laughs> and again, the voice didn't say anything because it's true. I believe it. You know, and then I looked at my ear and, you know, I used to hate this ear because it's so deformed and, you know, burned off and stuff. And. I used to say, I hate my ear. But this time I went in the mirror and I said, I have to love my cute little ear. <laughs> it makes me special. It makes me different. It makes me unique. And at one time I was going to get a surgery to get a, you know, a new ear made. And I thought, why? Just so somebody looking at me can think I'm beautiful. And so when I changed that conversation with the mirror, the next time I looked in the mirror, I saw everything I loved about me. Not everything I hated about me. Because again, if I was to say I am beautiful, the mirror would say to me, no, you're not. You're not flawless. Women with scars are not beautiful. Right? So I had to go and change that conversation to talk about what do I love about me? What do I believe? Right? And when you start believing that, then the mirror doesn't give you that negative voice doesn't right? talk when back. You, right. yourself, you gotta stop comparing yourself to other women. That's the big thing. Most women, it's just like they walk in a room. Oh, well, I'm not as beautiful as that person. They're more beautiful than me or they're more successful than me. 
or they're, they're smarter than me or they're richer than me, right? And then that way, that's how we diminish ourselves. So women need to stop comparing themselves to other women. And, they, and I love this Rachel Hollis quote. This quote, she says, don't compare your middle, or no, your beginning to my middle. Exactly. I didn't know all about that, right? Exactly. So, yeah. <laughs> no, that's really good because I, that's a problem I have with affirmations is if you like, I think I can't remember if I read an interview, or I heard something you had said, but when you look and say, I am beautiful and you look in the mirror and you go, well, compared to the photoshopped versions of the girls on the, the cover of the magazines, I don't qualify. Well, none of us do. it's fake it's all photoshopped you know (laughs) um and i know there's a couple of of people that are like i'm going to post something that's not photoshopped well that doesn't last very long you know because if 99.99999 percent of everything out that's out there is photoshopped and fake or artificially artificially created you know you can't compare to that so that's why i have a problem with affirmations like that and also i have a problem with externals you know i want to you know because as and as a, a stylist and an image consultant i work on with people on their personal brand yeah the first question i ask in the form is tell me all the things that you like about yourself right and people yeah. have the hardest time with that part they do they get to the part where what do you want to camouflage and it's a huge list absolutely Absolutely. So if we can focus on not and not just externals, like you said, I've got a cute nose and I big beautiful eyes and, you know, and I'm kind, you know, I want people to also recognize their inner qualities. Exactly. Absolutely. You're totally right about that. And, and you're right. Like even the most beautiful girl, you can go talk to her and say, oh my God, you are so gorgeous. And they'll say, oh, no, 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 I'm not. And they'll say, I have a big nose. My nostril on this side is, is, you know, bigger than the other side. And they'll come up with a whole list of 10 things of why they're not gorgeous. Right. Right? Exactly. So when you were working and and going through this work for yourself, right? So you're like going through your own transitions and whatnot. and, And now you have children. How did all of this impact your children you know it's interesting i've had that conversation with them a few times because you know i said to them like has anybody ever said anything to you because people always ask me how do your kids feel and they there's only one time that my one son had a problem and he was in sixth grade and they had their their week-long camp summer camp that they did at school and this one kid comes up to cody and says your mom is so ugly. Well, that did not sit with him. And he <laughs> punched him out. And then the kid tried to get back into the cabin. And Cody punched him out again. And then he tried to get back in again. And Cody said, what part of this are you not understanding? You are not going to get into this cabin. You insulted my mom. Like, my mom, like, you just, like, they are so, so protective of me. And, you know, I'll never forget because when I was speaking so much, I felt like I was being a bad mom and I call it bad mom syndrome. Yeah. And one day I was driving Parker to school, high school. And, you know, he said, you know, mom, my friends, my friends complain about their moms. And I say, no, 
I don't relate. I'm proud of my mom. I love her. And I was like, aww. And he was like 16 at the time. Oh, that's so sweet. So he's at that age where, you know, they're not really liking their moms and dads, right? Exactly. And and I was like, aww. Like, how amazing that, you know, my son is saying how much he loves me and he's proud of me. You know, he's seen over the past 10, 11 years that I've been this uh, single mom who struggled and struggled and struggled, but I still try and I try again and I try something different and, and I don't give up. And that's why I won all those awards. And that's why, you know, all this stuff has happened is because I just do it. Right. And I think that's part of identifying with like a a personal mission in life. And when our children can see us being a good mom and putting them first, but of also going out and living the life that we're supposed to give, you know, um, I think that that's inspirational too. Totally. Totally. Yeah, and on my on my Facebook, I posted this picture uh, because when we were filming the documentary, we did a skydiving event. So oh, okay. It was a fundraiser for my blankets for burn kids. And so what we did is you had to raise $1,000 and then you got to skydive for free. And then all the money we used to buy the blanket that I had. And then we gave them to the kids at summer camp. And so my kids got to participate in all of this. And so it was so funny because I put up this picture of all of us in our skydiving gear. And um, people are saying, oh, my God, that looks like a Top Gun commercial, right? With the four of us walking on the tarmac, right? And I saw that picture. And I think it was on your Facebook page. Yeah, yeah, I just put it up yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> and people are just like, there's something like 200 likes and something like this on it. Yeah. And and it was so funny because I did this all as a single mom. Right? And a lot of times we think that, you know, like I've had this belief that single moms are always broke. Oh, right. Right? Because <laughs> they don't have a man to support them, right? Right. And, and and so, you know, it was so cool when I saw that picture and I thought, you know what, I'm going to put it up on Facebook and see what people say. And so now people are asking me to do a speech around it. Oh, interesting. Yeah, because yeah. I, I have a, I have my pilot's license. So I see people skydiving. And I'm like, why would you jump out of a perfectly good plane? You know, just keep going. <laughs> and it's kind of one of, but it is on my bucket list is, is to go skydiving. Oh, and it's funny. I, I have a story about that with Parker, my one son, because he said exactly that. He's a mom. I have no right. I see no reason to jump out of a perfectly good airplane, but he's also scared of heights. And so... Anyways, so my cousin told him what would happen. And so anyways, he did it. And then when I, I was the last one to land and he come running over to me and he goes, mom, mom, mom. And I'm like, what? He goes, that was amazing. When can we do it again? And and I said, did you get the lesson? He goes, what lesson? If you never would have done it, you never would have known how much you love it. True. And so how many times do we let fear stop us? from doing the things we want. And that to me is the big lesson with that whole skydiving thing is, mm-hmm. you know, we don't have to do things in traditional ways. We can do a fundraiser so that we can get to do it and, and you know, create an impact. And so I, that's one of the things that I'm really proud of is that my sons and my daughter have seen me take simple little ideas and turn them into something awesome. And that's what I hope other people will get 
from hearing your story is those, it's those tiny little things. So when yeah. you walk away from like making a speech or doing a podcast, what, what is it that you hope, what's your bottom line message? What do you hope that people take away from your story or your life or the speech or the interview? Right now it's hope. We like right now we're in a really tough time with COVID. So a lot of us don't know what our future is going to be like. Mm -hmm. I'm one of them. I don't know what the future is going to be like. I'm working my butt off. <laughs> right. Exactly. One, because I have the time. But secondly, because I don't know what the future is going to bring. And there's all these conspiracy theorists out there. And I'm like, what the heck? I don't know what. And right. I don't know what's right. going to happen. So to me, it's about hope. Mm -hmm. And you know, I still remember I spoke at this one conference and it was a burn survivor conference. So there was a thousand burn survivors there. And this was this was early on in my speaking career. So probably nine or 10 years ago. And I was like shocked because this one burn survivor got up and he did this incredible speech. And I was like, oh, my God, he's amazing. Like, I'll never be as good as him. And how could he do this? Like no notes and everything and just incredibly powerful story. And so I'm talking to my friend and I'm crying because I I have two speeches to do in a breakout room. And I'm like, oh my God, like, what am I going to do? I don't get it. Like, I'm, I'm not as good as him. And I said, I don't know what I can offer these people. And so I'm walking down the street crying, texting my best friend. And I look up and there's the street sign and it says Hope Boulevard. Ugh. And no I thought, such thing as a coincidence. Oh <laughs> I can give them hope. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I feel like my message is these days. It's hope. It's, it's hope that you can get out and write a book and make an impact. Right? You can get out and be a virtual speaker. You can go and you can pivot and you can do whatever you want to do. Now is the time. Right Now is the time for all of us to reflect on what are we doing in our lives that are working and what are we doing that's not working. And I, what wasn't working for me was being a keynote speaker. Like a part of it was working, but now that I'm actually pivoted and coaching people to write books and become best-selling authors, I made more money in 2020 than I ever have. Yeah, right? I, had, I had a good 2020 as well. <laughs> exactly. And then yeah. some of us are feeling the same that we had a, a great 2020 because a lot of people are struggling. Right. But have you ever read that book, Who Moved My Cheese? Yes. Oh my gosh, I forgot about that book. Yes. I know, but isn't, yeah, I have it here somewhere. But anyways, um, that book is all about if something's not working for you, what do you do? Do you stay where you are or do you pivot and go and do something else and find more trees? Right. That's exactly what 2020 has done for us. Yeah, I think so. And I think what you're doing is is very admirable and wonderful in helping people make that pivot and use our time at home productively and change change other lives because I think everybody has a book in them. I really honestly believe that every single solitary person has a book in them, whether it's fiction or nonfiction. I, I totally agree with you. I couldn't yeah. agree with you more than that. Yeah. And, you know, you can put your book up on Amazon for free and you could be making money on it. And, you know, my friend that has chemo that or has cancer and she said, I'm so glad you taught me how to do this at a virtual event because now she's got a 10 book series that she's putting out. She can't do her old job anymore because it's a physical job, but she can write. Mm hmm. 
Yeah, exactly. And inspire people and she can do that. And so she's so excited because she's a best-selling author now because I taught her. Yeah. And you have, if you're watching this on YouTube and uh, and not on the podcast and just listening, behind Kelly are a bunch of books uh, from her clients that are successful best-selling books all behind her. So. <laughs> Every one of them is a best-selling book. So these are all my clients' books. So, yeah. That's exciting. That's exciting. Well, I can't thank you enough for being here. We're going to do an extended version and talk some more for our VIPs. Um, But thank you so much, Kelly, for being here and sharing your story. You're Uh, very welcome. Thank you for the honor of being on your show. Thank you. You're such a blessing. All right. So thanks for being with us on this episode of Coffee with Colleen, and we'll see you next time.